Today on the Firelighter Podcast, we've got a special guest, Taylor Sons, with the Life Goal Investments Group that has recently launched several ETFs with specific purposes. I'm excited to share his story and what Life Goal Investments is doing with their ETFs. But remember, please do not assume any of the information you hear on this podcast is professional investing advice legal advice, or tax advice. Please seek your own experts for any of those items. This episode was recorded on September 24th in Austin, Texas. It's been quite a while since it was recorded. The real reason for that is I wanted to give the ETFs time to trade for a period in the marketplace and come back and do a comparison to other investments so we can talk a little bit about that. I will come back and visit with you at the end of the episode with that data. But for now, let me hand it off to that podcast recorded in Austin on September 24th. Hey, welcome back. This is Lambo the Firelighter here at FinCon 21. We're recording another live podcast here in the convention center. Today, believe it or not, we've got a great guest. Uh, I'm really excited to talk to Taylor. Taylor Sons is, uh, is here from New York. And they're a sponsor today of, of the exhibit facility. And it's just a delight. I spent a lot of time talking with Taylor and his brother yesterday. These guys are bringing to market some interesting products. You know, my favorite thing, before we even talk to him, you know, he, he, he's in the ETF space. And they've put together some very structured products for specific types of investors. But the best thing about these products, man, is the symbol, because I know you have a little leeway when you set up things that are going to be traded publicly. And these symbols are awesome. Home, child, sunny, and saving, and wealth. You know, those, of course, are not spelled that way, because symbols are always a lot shorter, but pretty exciting. But today, I'm going to talk to Taylor, and let me cut right over and let Taylor introduce himself, and we'll get into the interview. Thanks so much, Paul. Super excited to be on this. So yeah, we're down here at FinCon. This is our first FinCon conference, and we are upstate New York folks. Uh, We spent about 25 years between my brother and I, who's my co-founder, on Wall Street. And we are one red light town folks from growing up. So we started out kind of in the middle of nowhere, went to college, got our undergrad and grad in the financial world and then started on Wall Street. And from there, we went around the United States and worked with the wealthiest families around the country. Right. And so it's, it's, when you talk about Wall Street, man, I don't want to think about the generic Wall Street because a lot of people might not have, have the best positive image of somebody when they say Wall Street. So talk to me a little bit about specifically what kind of jobs you guys had when you started your careers in Wall Street. Yeah, no, it's awesome. So we spent, again, I've been in the industry now for 12 years, my brother for 15 years, right about that. And so when we worked on Wall Street, what we did was we got an education on specifically how to build portfolios and construct them specifically to meet people's needs. So we would go around the United States and work with families that have ultra high net worth and build a customized portfolio specifically to suit their needs. 
those portfolios, you know, when you say portfolio, I'm thinking a mix of stocks, maybe bonds, maybe it's all equities, but are, are we talking 50 different equities? Uh, what type of structured portfolio were you guys putting together? So sometimes it was exactly what you're describing there, where it's individual equities. Other times it was basket of equities, where it's underlying ETFs, maybe SPY, a broad basket of equities and stocks. Again, what we were doing specifically is building things to meet their specific needs for that individual family or person to drive their success at the end of the day. Yeah, you're emphasizing that, and it's truly a proper thing to be emphasizing because everyone's needs are a little bit different, and you really have to digest and understand what their goals are what their needs are, what their risk tolerance is, what their timelines look like to really structure the right type of portfolio so that when those liquidity events happen in the future and they need the funds, or if it's in perpetuity, right? Some of these people may be leaving legacy funds behind. So tell us a little bit about the process you use to talk with those clients and digest what it is you needed to construct. So it's a very consultative process. To your point, everyone has different needs and concerns in their lives and everyone has different risk tolerances. And the money they're putting aside is for specific things at different times in their lives. So it's very consultative. It's what are you looking to do with this money, Paul? How long do you have to put this money aside? What is your risk tolerance? What is your volatility awareness? And how comfortable are you taking the swings in the market? And that all drives the underlying asset allocation. And we can certainly talk about asset allocation. Right, right. No, I want to dive into a different angle. I like what you're saying. I'm going to throw an example at you. I know a lot of our listeners might be high, uh, ultra high net worth type individuals, but I'm guessing a lot of them are not as well because right. I do have a lot of millennials that are soon to be high net worth. I'm a millennial. I, I, I love it. I love it. And you know, millennials can do extremely well. No you know, doubt. you ride the right rocket. It's going to take you to the moon and beyond. But I'm thinking a little bit here out loud. I've got a daughter that's not quite 30 yet. She's been accumulating assets you know, may eventually be buying a house. When you look at the market and the potential volatility, even like Monday, and here we are today, higher than we started the week, you know, so we all know it goes up and it goes down. You don't want to see the major liquidity drop if you need to pull those funds out of the market and put it down on a piece of real estate. So for somebody in that space, upper 20s, starting to accumulate wealth, maybe 30s, and looking to make a large purchase. Um, that seems like the enigma because you put it in a, a bank account and it gets a penny a month, right? Is no it, it's asinine, okay? But maybe the Fed will start raising interest rates someday here. I know they keep talking about 2023, 24, 2022. The reality is we don't know what they're going to do. We don't know when rates are going to start going back up because we're in this vicious cycle that just feeds itself right now. But tell us, for somebody in their late 20s, early 30s, they're looking to buy a house. What kind of options are, are out there? And I know you're going to mention some of the ones you guys offer, and that's one of the reasons I'm having you here on the podcast. Certainly. But tell us, what, what do you think makes the most sense and why? And then if you can dovetail that a little bit into what your products are sure. and how they meet those needs, I'd love to hear about it. Oh, that's awesome. Thanks so much. So there is a crisis playing out in the United States right now, and it comes down to home affordability and the lack of home affordability that there is. So two things are going on simultaneously creating this problem. Home prices in the last 12 months have gone up on average around the United States at 15.94%. 16% is the home price increase year over year in the United States shockingly high and it's no secret to anyone they see real estate prices highest, going up and up. literally the highest in my lifetime 
right? It's unbelievable. Certainly the highest in your young lifetime, right? Co- correct. <laughs> and, and to compound that problem and the affordability of it is your point made before, Paul, is the fact that savings accounts right now yield literally zero, 0.01%. Absolutely. It's negligible. I don't even report it on my tax return because it's <laughs> pennies a year, right? That's right. And I called and asked. I said, hey, I didn't get my information for my tax return. Well, it's because the number was so little. It didn't like, matter. And I thought I had money in that bank account. Well, I did. It just sat there for nothing. Right. Yeah. So my co-founder is my brother, Brett. You know, he and- does look a lot older than you. He is not quite as good looking either, right? <laughs> well, I got to say, there's a reason you're standing up by the board over there. Uh, but anyway, no, he's a great guy as well. No, Brett's awesome. And he's the visionary behind the company. He found himself in a problem that a lot of Americans are finding themselves in right now. So he was going to buy a home about 12 months ago. And what happened was COVID hits. Yeah. And he looks at himself and says, you know what? Home <sighs> prices might actually come down and I may get a cheaper home based upon this. Boy, was he wrong, right? So, well, yeah, he might have been right at the very beginning, but it didn't last for long. For about 45 like minutes, Like when right? nobody would let you even look at a house. Right. It's, it's, it's right. You know, that window, as I say in life, windows open and shut. Sometimes you didn't even know there was a window there until it's already gone. So he found himself in the situation where all of a sudden home prices start to take off. And he has, in his portfolio at this point, money set aside for that home purchase. So he's got that down payment sitting, not in a savings account, but in very conservative bonds. Right. And so he's getting 2 to 3% return on those bonds, and all of a sudden the home prices are taken off at 15%. Right. So his ability to afford what he thought he wanted to buy suddenly starts to kind of work away from him. Oh, boy. Yeah. He turns to me and says, Taylor, what do we do? And so we think back to our Wall Street days and say, we've customized portfolios for needs in the past. Let's do the same for you. And you know what? Better yet, before we do that, let's look around everywhere we can find on the internet to find out what solutions are possible for this particular need. Right. And what do we stumble across? Not a lot. Not a lot of options, right? Nothing. Yeah. Nothing whatsoever. I, 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 I've had the same challenge. I mean, I have different needs, but that money, that safe money, the buckets I use, it's a similar concept here, but the buckets I use for near-term expenses over the next couple of years, I don't want to put those at significant risk. There's a reason they're in those buckets, right. but it just kills me to see little to no return, or in some cases of some of these bond funds, seeing them actually go down a little bit, not a lot, but a little bit, and say, there's got to be an option. There's got to be an option where I can get a reasonable return at a very low risk uh, to an extent. And, and And I look for those products. I didn't find them. Right. And that's exactly the situation that Brett found himself in. There's no solution on the market. So not only did we decide, hey, this is an opportunity for us to build the right portfolio for Brett, but we said, hey, we have the financial background. Most of America does not have the financial background to do exactly what we're looking to do. What do they do in this situation? So we looked ourselves and then we, bought, or we, we hired a third party to come in and do research to confirm the fact that there is nothing out there and there wasn't. So yeah, you guys are pretty pretty savvy in the marketplace, spending as much time as you did in the industry. But you said, hey, I want to get another expert to come in with his own eyes and say, is this right. really the way it is out there? Right. So you, you you brought in a guy for research and he found the same thing, right? Nothing out there. Nothing out there. So, okay. So that's going to take us into what you guys did about it. And yeah. this is the part that I'm really excited about because I want to hear, you haven't told this whole story to me yet. So uh, thanks, Paul. I, I'm really looking to share this with the audience. Yeah. So, so again, I'll take it back to Brett's situation where he's sitting in these low volatility bonds 
garnering 3% return, 2% return somewhere in that ballpark. And the home prices are running away from him at 15%. And he says, I need to bleed things into the portfolio that give me a little bit higher return in order to do so. So what do we do? So we started looking around and said, hey, Brett, you're buying a home. So we want things that are going to go up when home prices go up and add that to your portfolio of bonds. So we start looking around at different stocks and say, hey, what has a really high correlation with home prices? So if home prices continue to go up, these stocks should continue to go up. So effectively, you're creating a hedge in that portfolio. So what are those stocks? Well, if home prices are going up, it's because of demand in the home market. It's things like Lowe's, Home Depot, Sherwin-Williams Paint, Zillow, the big realtor company, Toll Brothers, Home Builders. So all of these stocks have a direct correlation with the home prices. As home prices go up, these stocks will very likely go up along with them. And at the end of the day, what is he using this money for? To buy that home. So he's looking to offset those rising costs. So when you bleed together those stocks in the portfolio with the underlying wrapper of the bonds that he already has to control the volatility, you get a portfolio that has the low volatility component of the bonds, so your downside isn't as meaningful if the market does pull back, Right. but yet you have that equity component that is specific to that purchase that you're going to place in the future, which is the home. Right. I'm going to use the word dangerously here, index, but it's, uh, I just want to use it as you've kind of built a specific structured portfolio that is, if you will, I'm using this in the wrong way, <laughs> indexed toward what happens in the home price market. Right. Because uh, if the portfolio is designed to help you save and keep up with the pricing in the future of the specific home market, right. uh, you structured it with the right components on the uh, individual stocks that if the home prices are moving up, those stocks should move up as well, juicing your total return a little bit to kind of keep up, hopefully keep up with the market. Correct. So when you look at it last year, and I mentioned this, the year over year increase in home prices was almost 16%. That's probably not gonna continue. It could for the short term, but over a 50 year average, homes increase in price at 5.4% in the United States. So that's more of that number that we're realistically trying to offset. We're not going to offset 16% inside this portfolio. It's not built to do that because 70% of it is in low volatility bonds that are a lower risk, lower reward agent. Right, right. And some people may say to us, hey, why don't we just put all the money in those equities that are tied directly to home prices? There's a reason for that. My next question, I was going to go ahead and ask the obvious hard question. So let's get that one out of the way. Please do. So, you know, Generally, after a high price run-up, things usually have a run-down. Yeah. And so um, I, I think about you guys launching these ETFs here recently, sure. right? And, and the hyper-excited home market making a little pullback. Sure. And, and with that, I, I personally own Lowe's stock, and I've watched it yeah. and, and Home Depot and, and some of those. They may pull back a little more than we like. Sure. But... This kind of gets back to the allocation within your total you. ETF, You're right? You're making it easy on me. Bring it to me. Tell me, <laughs> you know, what about that? Okay, what if Lowe's and Home Depot and Sherman, all these components all pull back 10, 15% with home prices? Right. So there certainly could be a reversion back downwards in these stocks and underlying real estate potentially in home prices in general. But what also comes along in the portfolio is 70% in very predictable return pattern bonds. 
So yes, bonds can have volatility as well, but oftentimes the correlation between bonds and stocks is negative. So that means when stocks pull back, oftentimes you can see a bond improvement in price. So case in point, look back to a very scary year that people have experienced in the stock market, which is 2008. Now, this is a little bit before my investing time, admittedly, but the stock market was down in 2008, 37%. That's the S&P 500. It was. So what did the Barclays Ag, which is essentially the S&P of bonds, what did that do that year? It was not down that much, that's for sure. It was up over 5%. Yeah. So that it was shows, a safe place to be. That shows that negative correlation. So what you're doing inside of the strategy that we've put together, which is our life goal, homeowner investment, to your point before, right. ticker HOM, home, is we've built in different assets that perform in the market at different times. So the bonds may do well when the stocks aren't doing well, and the stocks may do well when the bonds aren't doing well. So you build these things in together to cry, try right. to create an all-weather tire. So let me let me ask you this, because I really kind of want, want you to differentiate in the nuance of, you know, what if I just get a Vanguard, uh, you know, uh, portfolio that's balanced at 60 bonds, a conservative 60 bonds, 40 broad equity market. What's the unique difference between me just doing that versus buying the ETF we're talking about? It's a great question. So it's twofold. So the first thing is specific to this product that we're talking about, the homeowner investment, is we have the equity component being directly tied to the home purchase that you're going to place. So you're having your equity exposure in things like, and I'm reiterating when I said, Home Depot, Lowe's, Toll Brothers, Zillow, et cetera. Things that should move with the home pricing market, right? Correct. And the second thing is, and Paul, this is something that is widespread around the United States, is that people aren't making investing easy on folks. So what Vanguard product would that be? Is this a core conservative, a core moderate, core regret? These are really difficult names and things for people to understand. So what we've done to try to differentiate ourselves is say, hey, let's name it exactly what it's intended to be used for. Right, thus the HOM ticker for the home fund, right? Right, it's called Life Goal Homeowner Investment. It tells you. Yeah, so we're we're not going to spend as much time on these other funds, but I do want to talk through them really quick. I'm going to just speculate that the child fund might have something to do with college education, maybe? There you go, child care. Child care. All costs associated with raising kids. Okay, and so like the home fund, what kind of holdings does that one have? Yeah, so that's going to be things that are tied to the costs associated with raising your kids. So it's going to be more consumer discretion oriented. So like Walmart for diapers? Perfect. Maybe Target? You know, Perfect. Education oriented uh, stocks? Right, right. Okay. Well, let's go on quickly down these other yeah, ones real do. quick. So there's one called Sunny, S-U-N-Y. What would that one be? That's for vacation. So hey, you want sunny it to be days. sunny on vacation, right? <laughs> sunny days are here again, <laughs> so here, man. Here's an easy one to explain as well. So yeah. it's not Home Depot and Lowe's that's held there. It's Southwest Airlines, right. Airbnb, Hilton Properties, things okay. that you spend money on on vacation. Right, right. Let's talk about the volatility of that fund particularly because, you know, when I think vacation, I'm thinking maybe I save a year for it. Maybe it's a big trip, like I'm going to take my family to Europe or something, and yeah. maybe I start saving for that for two years. Um, you know, I don't really see that as something where you need to take a lot of risk because you're going to spend that money soon. Sure. So, you know, is there a reason to have 
you know, that level of volatility in it? Or is it just in case ticket prices go up before you buy them? You yeah. Know? So the level of volatility in that, that scores a one out of five on a risk score. Okay. So that's an extremely low volatility product because we know the time frame that you're likely saving for is a year, potentially two years out. But really, it's a short time frame. So that is the most conservative. That and one of the other ETFs that we have are the most conservative because we know that time frame is short. But the other thing, Paul, that these do for you is when you have these inside of a Robinhood, a Schwab, a T, wherever yeah. you do your trading, right? You look at it and you see life goal vacation. You know exactly yeah, how much money you have set aside for a vacation, right? And it's pretty easy to remember these symbols, right? You know, I, I have. I'm going to just confess, I have way too many different funds in my portfolio. A ETFs lot of people do, and yeah. And some of them, I have to literally click the ticker read what it is again. Sure, and I'm right. like, that's too many when you have to do that, right. right? So these will be quickly recognizable. You'll know what they're for. And I see in my Sunny fund, you know, if I have $1,500 set aside for a $3,500 trip I plan to take, right. I know I need to put a little bit more in there. And so, Paul, how about this? My wife and I have been in arguments in the past where I have spent money that she thought was set aside for something else. Yeah, she thought it was earmarked for one thing. Correct. And you sucked it into some other need. Correct. Uh, I went out and bought a, whatever it may be, an example would be a buy, I bought a truck, I put a down payment on a truck, and she said, you know, Taylor, what the heck are you doing? That money was set aside for our kids. You know, what she really said was, Taylor, what the heck are you doing financing a truck instead of paying cash? That's exactly Cause we're. Right. Financial independent guys, we we can we can believe in deferred gratification. That's exactly when the right. money set aside. Yeah, but uh, I I tangent here a little sure, bit. Sure, sure. We we both are yeah. super frugal, so yeah. we don't do stuff like so, that. Yeah, but no, that's a good point. Is you know when you set that money aside in that fund, what it's for, and Correct. both you know, and I think let's talk a little bit about relationships because you mentioned your wife. Okay, yeah. you know when you when you're in a relationship. It's so important to be on the same page with right. finances. Right. And this is, you know, one area where you have these funds, these ETFs set aside that kind of have a purpose. Right. And it's clear what that purpose might be. So let's quickly get back to that list of ETFs because sure. it's not a real long list, but we're going to get back to it. The next one is called Savin, and that's S-A-V-N, Savin. Uh, tell me about the saving fund and then the wealth one will be last. But, but when you do that, I, I want when we get to the bottom, I want you to go back and rank these at the risk level. Yeah, okay? absolutely. But let's talk about saving. So saving is going to be that first step out from cash. So it's a low volatility, low risk, low reward type ETF. But again, to our point to begin with, savings accounts right now are paying zero. So this product is going to have a yield that's monthly distributed that has an over 2% yield. So total return should probably be higher than that. That's the intention. But again, as opposed to sitting on money in a savings account doing zero, this is going to garner a few percent higher than that. And again, it's every little bit counts. And as inflation starts to pick up, you want assets that are going to move Keep up in with a direction inflation. with inflation. Right. 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 Excellent. Okay. Well, the, the last one on the list is the Life Goal Wealth Builder, and that symbol is WLTH, wealth, right? So tell <laughs> me about that We try to make it easy. We try yeah, to make it easy. You know, even an Aggie can understand this stuff. Okay. <laughs> Go ahead. What is, tell me about the Wealth Builder. Yeah. So uh, uh, in the vein of risk and reward and looking at that, this is our highest risk, highest reward product that we offer. So this scores a four out of five on the risk scale. And what the intention of this product is to do is to build wealth. 
right in the name, Wealth Builder. So this is the product that you have 10 plus years and you're looking to set money aside for long-term growth. This is gonna be about 70% stocks, 30% bonds. And again, looking for long-term growth of capital. So this is the money that you're setting aside to say, hey, in 10 years, I want this to grow as much as I can make it grow. So not to put you on a spot, but what, what kind of stocks would be in the, the holdings in the portfolio for this fund, you know, that you're looking Good for question. those really significant above market growth opportunities? Yep. So it is not a game for us of alpha generation. So we're not necessarily looking to outperform the market. What we're doing with this product is taking broad-based equity exposure. And we're also going to blend in bonds to this portfolio. So the secret is for folks, when it comes to investing, it's the ability to stay in the seat through the tough times. So here's an interesting stat, Paul. The average return for the S&P 500 over the last 20 years is 7.5%. The average return for the other major index, which is the Barclays Ag bonds, Uh the other main asset class, is 4.8. So again, equities at 7.5, stocks at 7.5. Bonds at 4.8. What do you think the average investor return that they've actually experienced is? I got to believe, knowing that some investors are skittish, it's, it can't be as good as the average, right? Right. Yeah. So what's interesting, JP Morgan publishes this stat every single quarter. 2.9% return is the average return investors actually experience. Yeah, drop the mic. Okay, so <laughs> you're telling me those fund performances, those broad market performances, investors aren't getting half of that? They aren't even getting, they're barely beating inflation. So the key is, is people sell at the wrong time. Record outflows out of the stock market was last year in March when the market capitulated from COVID. Right. Let, let me just say it out loud. You're not an investor if you're a trader, right? Correct. You know, if you're not buying positions and holding those positions and allowing the market to go through cycles and go back up. Correct. You are not going to capture market returns. Correct. It's it's not rocket science, is it? Buy low, sell high That's, is an idyllic thing that people talk about. The market does the exact opposite. People sell high and buy low. So the, the only example where I'll say you can buy low and sell high, if you buy pretty pretty much, you can buy the index today and you wait to sell it for 20 years, it's going to be higher. Right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but those those guys that say, you know, hey, Monday was a, was, or Tuesday was a drop this week or Monday, whatever sure. day it was. And, and it's like, okay, well, I, I admit, well, on big drop days, I always buy something yeah. because bad news is always- Good for you a good deal for me, right? Sure. And, and and as I move my allocation, you know, more into equities, because I've been, let's just say, too conservative sometimes, I, I take those as opportunities to get a few extra pennies, you know, and and, uh, and buy on a bad news day so, and, and knowing I'm going to leave it in. So, Paul, you're smarter than me. So, you know, when that time <laughs> is the market pulls back, you add money yeah. and you look at the market every day and watch when the opportunity to add money is because it pulls back. I don't do that. I don't either. I really don't do that. But I get a little, I got to admit, I have some alerts set up on my phone. Sure. So when the market drops 1% or more, I'm, I get a stock alert and sure. I said, hey, the broad market's way down today. Sure. Hmm, let's see if it's a meltdown or if it's just a blip. Is because, there a reason behind this? Because if it's a semi-panic meltdown, I want to get in and buy. Right. You know, and I call that opportunities. You know, I, I don't, I don't, I'm not a fan of market timing and I don't want to endorse market timing in any way. And, and a lot of, you know, what your funds do is you buy them and you hang on to them and they go through those cycles and they're somewhat dampered or buffered with the structure you have in those portfolios. So I want to go back to the risk level of each one of these, but the one thing I'll say on that note is, again, when it comes to timing the market, the Market Timing Hall of Fame has 
zero members. No one's been able to predictively time the market well. So what Proven do you do many, instead? many times, yeah. Dollar cost average. That's right. So either buy on pullbacks like Paul does, or what I do is just <laughs> systematically invest every single week and put more and more money in because you're buying on yeah. the highs and the lows, and therefore it's yeah, predictable. We, we, we talk frequently on the podcast about investing consistently over time and what I call automatic investing. Many right. people use the term, but whether you're doing it in your 401k or you're doing it in an M1 account, or you're, you know, I assume your, your ETFs are available in M1. I haven't looked yet, but I'll need to check. Anywhere you can buy a stock, right. you can buy this product. So it's, it's available on all the major brokerage firms. Okay. Well, before we run out of time here, Let's, let's walk through the risk level of each yeah. one of these funds. I'd like to hear that. Yep. So I'll, I'll take you through from low to high here. So okay, great. A score of one out of five uh-huh. is the life goal vacation investment. Because again, we talked about the time frame of that being very short. Sunny, S-U-N-Y is the ticker. Uh-huh. Another score of one out of five would be the life goal general conservative investment. Savin, S-A-V-N. Because again, that is what we're using as that first step out from cash to not get zero in a savings account, but churn out a, a two and a quarter yield on this product and maybe a little higher than that from a total return perspective. Right. And then you move to home, life goal homeowner, HOM. That's a score of two out of five. Again, you have a little bit longer runway that most people save for a house. The average person saves for six and a half years. So right. it's a little longer runway there. And then next you have the life goal children investment. C-H-L-D, child. That also has a two out of five. Again, we're thinking about the time horizon that people have to spend that money. And then lastly, a score of four out of five is the Life Goal Homeowner Investment. Or I'm, I'm sorry, the Life Goal Wealth Builder. Wealth, W-L-T-H, four out of five. Again, longer term time frame that you're investing for, higher risk, higher reward, build that wealth. Correct. Excellent. Thanks for walking us through those different risk tolerance levels. And I have one more question. I've saved another really hard question. Oh, give me the fireball. You know it's coming. Because when we talk about returns and backdating funds and and looking at how they performed over time, I care about the funds return, the ETF, but I really care about my return. And and that means the fund has certain performance and, and income returns, but when you guys have a management fee, like every fund does, yep. uh, literally almost every fund, I guess Fidelity and some of the others have some zero fund options that certainly are great Crazy, marketing right. programs to get people in the door. But let's talk about your expense loads that you guys have. And I, I shouldn't even use the word load, uh, expenses for the management of the funds and, and how many basis points that might be. Because I know it's not going to be more than 100 for sure. No doubt. No doubt. Yeah. So we wanted to get in the market and be very competitive. So from the low end, we're at 0.29% or 29 basis points as a management fee. And on the high end, we're at 49 basis points. So the different five funds have different fees associated with them because of their different allocations, but it's all from 0.29% to 0.49%. I don't want you to run through every one of them, but which one's the lowest, which one's the highest? So the highest is gonna be Wealth Builder. Right. Again, that's your highest risk, highest reward, longer term investment. So that's yeah. gonna be 0.49%. Uh-huh. And then the lowest risk, lowest reward we talked about being the vacation, Sunny, S-U-N-Y, that's yeah. 0.29%. 
Wow, that makes great sense. That makes great sense. So as we begin to think about wrapping up this episode, you know, I, I think that um, just the process of thinking about investing for different purposes, you know, when someone does a, uh, a financial plan for, for uh, you know, a couple that's, that's or a family that's trying to figure out, mm-hmm. you know, what their longer term vision is. And one of the most important things uh, that they're asked is, what kind of things do you plan to do in right. life? It's, right. uh, do you plan to save for college? Are you just going to kick your, your child out and tell them good luck? Or are you going to buy a car when your kids start driving? Are you going to buy a second home? Uh, are you going to sell a second home and have money that you'll be able to invest for another purpose later? Right. You know, so understanding all of those things are really key for developing a financial plan. But once you decide what that plan is, you earmark those items and the purposes and the timeline. Right. And then how could someone employ these ETFs to kind of dovetail with those plans? Exactly right. So we tried to name them to meet the needs that people have in the big budget items. So again, back to my original story of Wall Street, we worked on Wall Street and created these massive portfolios for these huge families that have such high net worth. And we looked at ourselves and Brett and I, brothers, grew up in a one red light town. Right. And we looked at ourselves and said, what are we doing working for these people that are ultra, ultra rich? Do they have the financial need or does my neighbor growing up have the financial so need? So you're telling me you guys are Main Street, not Wall Street, right? Main Street, not Wall Street. We started on Wall Street to get that education right. and that backing. And then we said, hey, these aren't the people that need the financial advice. It's the everyday person that isn't getting the financial advice from a financial advisor, et cetera. Truly. Let's build it for them. Absolutely. Uh, given the, you know, FinCon has certainly got a lot of people are rocking around here talking about financial independence. Uh, one of the key tenets of that is reasonably low cost investing. And if you're not getting single digit basic points, you know, for a typical index fund, right. a reasonable uh, fee for what you're getting on the value side of the right. equation can still be appropriate. And this is this is one of those funds for the listeners uh, or a group of funds where you kind of have clarity on what the purpose of these ETFs are. Right. And the expenses are within reason, I'd say. You know, they're not excessive. Right. Uh, I don't know what it takes to run a fund. I do want to talk a little bit about how you guys got this up and running and, you know, really what's involved in terms of you know, who's monitoring these portfolios? Who's managing these holdings within them? If there does need to be some changes within the mix of the portfolios, you know, who's driving that investment decision in Great your question. group? Yeah, so they are actively managed. So if the market pulls back like it did last March and we get an opportunity to buy stocks cheaper, we may sell out of some of the bonds inside the portfolio and take a little more equity So you risk. may be slightly moving the allocation one way or the other, but- Not meaningfully, I'm but guess, yes. I'm guessing you don't do that in a significant way. No, because the goals kind of, haven't changed. It's kind of like, Paul, I, I'll buy a little VTI when it drops big, right. but I don't go in and all in with my bond money and buy all the VTI because right. it could move a lot more the next day, right? Right. But you're going to slightly enhance your exposure to the things that have maybe more upside over time. Correct. And conversely, on the other side, if we when see they them run way run up, up yeah. right, we may take on a little bit more bond exposure because we think equities are overvalued. But to your point, to begin with, 
Brett and I spent 25 years on Wall Street. Before that, we both had an undergrad and grad degree in business and in finance. And then we both went on and got our SEMA, Certified Investment Management Analyst. Right. And then I have my Certified Financial Planner designation as well. All of these things lead to our ability to make those decisions as to when to buy, when to sell. Again, we're not taking meaningfully different risk at any point in the market, but we do have the ability to dictate and those decisions are coming from Brett and I. Right. Well, it sounds like you guys have street cred, as they say, right? <laughs> uh, a little like bit. That. But I do want to make it crystal clear that these life goal investments, these ETFs, uh, I am in no way paid or compensated to talk about your products. I, I met you earlier here in the floor in FinCon and had a great discussion with you. And I said, this guy is going to be a great podcast guest. Oh, thank you so much. You it's know, been an excitement to be on here. Yeah, and, and I'm like, okay, he thinks I'm going to follow up in a couple of weeks. But for, I did, I for, did. Fortunately, a, a slot opened up at the live podcast booth here at FinCon, and so I made it a reality quick. Fifteen minutes later, here we are. Yeah, but you know, a guy that knows his products and knows his life as well as you do uh, and can speak right out of the gate with that kind of confidence you know, makes me feel better about even talking about this stuff because, you know, it, it's uh, it's one of those things where investments, you know, finance is personal and you guys have actually brought a kind of personal touch to your ETFs. People and, have needs. We're just trying to meet those needs from a financial standpoint. And help connect the dots. So I'm, I'm glad to say I had you on the podcast before you got on CNBC and talked too much or Fox Business or any of those <laughs> other guys you're going to be talking to. I would love to come back and chat with you anytime, Paul, and I mean that. Well, I appreciate it. You know, you're a genuine, solid guy and your brother, too. You know, I'm looking forward to seeing him again and talking a little bit more with him before you guys leave here today. How, did, how was FinCon 21 for you? What did you think about it? Unbelievable. Well, this is our first experience at something like this, the amount of just synergies that come into the building. Everyone and every, you know, everyone works together. It's great to see everyone talking about, hey, how can I help you out? How can we help people meet their financial needs at the end of the day? Everyone has a common goal, and that's what we're here for. I shook the hand of a man the other day, uh, yesterday morning, actually, somebody that has 87 million downloads on YouTube. Yikes! The, you know, and then uh, last night at the awards ceremony, uh, Joe Salzi, I you know got the Lifetime Achievement Award, and I've, I've chatted with him at least three times while I'm here, and and uh, correspond with him a little bit on email from time to time. But everyone is generally approachable here, every yeah. single one. Paula Pant, I took a picture with her the other day uh, after she did the morning uh, keynote hosting work, and everyone's approachable. It's and, awesome. And so I'd like to wish you and your brother the best of luck in, in getting these ETFs out of the gate and in people's portfolios. Thank you so much. We appreciate it. And we appreciate all you listeners hearing what we have to say. Yeah. So is there any one thing that we didn't talk about? You're like, you know, I wish Paul would have asked me this. Is there anything like that? No. Again, at the end of the day, what we're trying to do with this product is just meet the needs that people have and put them in a product that has a name and a ticker that is easily relatable. Homeowner, H-O-M. That is for that home owning need. Right, right. We'll go through them all one last time. What's the next one? Yep. So Life Goal Children Investment. Child, C-H-L-D is the ticker symbol. That's for needs and costs associated with raising kids. The vacation fund is S-U-N-Y, Sunny. That's saved for your next vacation. General Conservative, Savin is the ticker, S-A-V-N. That's that first step out from cash to not get you zero, which you're getting at a bank right now. And then lastly, the long-term wealth building product is Life Goal Wealth Builder, WLTH. 
Wow, thank you for running through those. So one, two, three, four, five ETFs. Yeah. Five alive, baby. You don't need more portfolios than that, That's right? That's exactly right. Uh, no, but uh, by all means, you know, there's a need for uh, other types of investment uh, products or index funds in your portfolio, but there also can clearly be a need for these type of ETS for these specific purposes. Yeah, so thanks. we'd just really like to say thanks to Taylor for being on the show. It is exciting. The energy in FinCon, it radiates across everyone. It's infectious. Even the introverts are becoming extroverts, wouldn't you say? <laughs> you know, I don't I, think either one of us qualifies I, as an introvert. I told but. someone, I kind of dread this, you know, I think I'm an, intro, uh, an extrovert, but I'm really kind of meeting new people is not my favorite thing. And after the last couple of years of the life we've been living through COVID, getting out and interacting with people you got to kind of get back in the groove. But after about three hours, I was like, dude, I'm loving this. That's it. Get a coffee in your hand and go get it. Yeah, I got to talk to somebody from New York, you know. <laughs> Here we are. Okay. Well, hey, that's going to be it today on the Filighter Podcast. Signing off from this episode from FinCon 21. Thank you for being a, a community member and following the Filighter. Stay with us for more great topics in this space. I'm Lambo. This is the Filighter Podcast. I hope you enjoyed that interview. I just wanted to come back and recap a little bit about these ETFs particularly and how they performed since that interview. But what I'll use as a starting point was September 9th, 2021. When we actually interviewed Taylor on September 24th, these funds had just been trading for two weeks. So they were very fresh right out of the gate. But each of those funds uh, began trading on the 9th of September. For the most part, um, their results are somewhat as you'd expect. Uh, you all know the market's done some things to drop a little bit since year-end. But I did compare those funds to the performance of the S&P 500, the VOO fund on Vanguard, as well as the VTI, Total Stock Market Index Fund on Vanguard, and the BND the bond index fund on Vanguard, just as a benchmark to try to get an idea where these funds lie uh, versus how the others uh, broad market funds performed during that same level of volatility. To be fair, realize that this is not a, even a year's worth of performance. So all of the funds, if you would have invested $1,000 in each of those funds, what would it have done? Let's start with the home fund. That $1,000 would be $969.71. So it actually decreased about 3%. The child fund would be $968.56, which would be down about 3.1%. The Sunny would be $973.06, so down 2.7%. And the Savin would be down to 970.70. And finally, wealth would actually be 963.21. So it would be the lowest of the funds down 3.7%. So you might say, why would I put $1,000 in these ETFs and be happy if they dropped uh, in the last several months? Well, you have to compare it to the broader market in general. The S&P 500 Granted, it's technology-driven, but it was at 1,002.98. It was actually up 0.3%. 
VTI, the total stock market index, was at 991.23, down 0.9%. And BND, the broad market index fund, or ETF, if you will, was at 959.37. So it was down 4.1%. Remember uh, what Taylor said about the portfolios, the holdings within each of these ETFs. They have a combination of equities as well as bonds and different types of even commodities, other investments. So they're somewhat like a purpose-built managed balanced fund with a combination of equities and bonds. And with that combination of the two and, and other, uh, other items like real estate or uh, commodities or, or things like that that might be in there as smaller holdings, their returns actually were not as low as the broad bond uh, indexes, but it was not as favorable as the S&P 500. Uh, and that's because it was inclusive of both bonds and equities, uh, and it's going to behave as such, uh, especially with a high percentage holding or allocation on the bond side. Whether it's fair or not, when you're looking at a down market cycle and you're looking at specific investments within that cycle, I'm just trying to frame them in an apples-to-apples -apples comparison. These types of investments, they did somewhat have a muted uh, performance compared to full equities or full bonds. And I think that's honestly what they were designed to do. So I'd say they performed somewhat like you would expect it to perform. I also looked at what the high and the low volatilities were in these funds. And just to get an idea of, you know, how much movement you, you had between the high and the low. Because one of the things as a, an investor you have to tolerate is volatility within those investments as the market goes up and down. What was interesting is... Uh, all of these at some point had a higher than uh, $1,000 value, and all of them have had certainly lower than $1,000 values. So when looking at the amount of movement for each of the ETFs, the largest movement was $90.64 on the wealth uh, ETF. It was as high as 1021 and as low as 930. So that's a $90 swing on that $1,000 investment from its high and its low. But the other ETFs all were much lower than that. Uh, their range in volatility was something on the order of 4.5%, 5%, and some of them, uh, the, the um, home ETF was 5.5%. These funds do truly drop within that, that balance category in a lot of sense uh, of that perspective where there's a heavier weighting on bonds, particularly on the um, home and child and sunny and saving funds. And then the wealth had more exposure uh, to equities and, and also a little more volatility associated with those equities. That's all I had for you today. I just wanted to come back and, and recap a little bit about what happened to these funds after that interview and where are they today. Remember, we're not giving you professional advice. Uh, seek your own advice on investing. 
But I do want to let you understand there are a lot of different types of ETFs out there and low-cost investments and some that are managed investments with you know slightly higher expenses than a pure index fund. But they may fit your needs, uh, you know, your, your goals and the timeline associated with those goals. So with that in mind, uh, remember, grow the gap, mind the gap. You want to increase your income, lower your expenses, grow that gap, and take that gap and invest it for your financial independence in your future. This is Lambo the Lighter. Tune in next time as we explore the path of acceleration to your financial independence. And if you're still with us for the after show, the final recordings were made on February 10th, 2022. Stay tuned. We got some good projects in the works here at the Firelighter Podcast, and we'll look forward to sharing those with you in the future. Grow the Gap.